This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Welcome everyone to another episode of Reimagine Law. When we think about what makes a successful lawyer, it is often very natural to focus on the technical skills, knowledge and expertise required in the role. But there's actually a lot more to being a lawyer than knowing the law. More and more firms are recognising the importance of how lawyers approach working with colleagues and clients. The business of law is the provision of a service and the people buying that service wants to work with people that they actually enjoy working with. They want to feel connected and understood and that their advisors care about what they care about and have the right attitudes to help them achieve their objectives. People buy people after all. Law is not an abstract practice. Irrelevant of how well someone does academically, at the end of the day, solicitors and barristers work with people on behalf of people and the decisions that are made affect people's lives. So in this episode, we're going to be exploring the professional behaviours and mindsets needed to set you up for success as a solicitor or barrister. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Charlotte Wanandea, who is the Head of Law at BPP in London. She has 25 years teaching and module leading experience across a range of knowledge and skills areas. She's also an accredited mediator and qualified as a solicitor at Clifford Chance. She's also a committee member of the City of London Law Society Training Committee. Welcome, Charlotte. Hi, Kerry. Yes, it's great to be here. Thank you. And I'm also um, joined by Nigel Jameson, who's head of law at BPP University in Leeds. Nigel was previously a solicitor specialising in criminal law um, and uh, is also a higher courts advocate and qualified as a barrister in 2015. So obviously, hugely rich experience between um, both Charlotte and and Nigel. We're very lucky to have you today. Thanks for having us. So Nigel, um, when we're talking about uh, professional behaviours and mindsets, what are you hearing from your clients around what they feel they need in terms of behaviours, attitudes and mindsets of their lawyers? Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a certain level of technical knowledge uh, needed, of course, to be a lawyer. But by the time students are applying for roles as trainees or pupils, that's that's almost a given. Everybody has a certain level of technical knowledge um, to be really effective as a lawyer and to succeed, though, you, you have to be something more. And increasingly important is, I think, the ability to manage yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and broadly speaking, I think there are two aspects to that. There's managing your workload so that you're you're productive and effective but I think it's also worth just keeping an eye on managing yourself in terms of looking after yourself um, as well Uh, you can't be good for the firm if you're not looking after yourself but specifically I think within that there's resilience uh, that firms are looking for firms want somebody who can cope with the demands of the job somebody who can cope with a heavy workload and move from one case to the next without being overwhelmed by it they're looking for people who can take uh, initiative as well you can't expect to be told what to do all the time junior lawyers are supervised of course but you do need to be able to make decisions uh, yourself as you're going along as you're working through cases and problems and that sort of links to an, uh, a need for accountability as well and ownership I suppose taking personal responsibility um, for your workload um, you need to be able to take responsibility for it from day one really and all that really feeds into this 
need to be someone who is capable of organizing yourself. I think the days are gone when each lawyer had a, a secretary or PA who just organized their day, organized their diary and helped them from one tax to the next. Uh, increasingly, lawyers work remotely. It might be because you're, the, you're a courtroom lawyer who's out of the office all the time in court, um, going from one court to another. Or increasingly today, of course, lawyers, as so many other people, are just simply working away from the office, working remotely. So you do need to be able to organize yourself. So I think organizing yourself, taking initiative, being accountable, they all overlap really, but those are the kinds of qualities which which people are, are really looking for. Um, but I think people, yeah, young lawyers need to remember that in order to be resilient and all that, they need to be proactive in reaching out as well uh, and, and getting help when they need it. Mm, yeah, and I, I think that's a really good point to emphasize actually, because often when you hear the word resilience, it um, sums up a, a, quite a one-dimensional element of it, i.e. you've just got to be tough um, and, and get through whatever is thrown at you. Whereas actually, I think in today's world, resilience means a lot more than that. It means knowing when to say no. It me means knowing when to ask for support. It means, like you said about the well-being point, looking after yourself so that you can ride out the time when things are a bit tougher. Um, so I think that's a, that is a, a very important point. Yeah, I think it's just about being aware of um, your own limitations as well, because I think, I like to think, and I think this is right, um, that firms are increasingly um, alive to the need to be um, uh, helpful to their employees and to encourage them to ask for help rather than just maintaining this um, image of coping through adversity uh, when they're not. Yeah. I was going to add there as well on the resilience point, uh, something that's very important is, of course, it's okay to make mistakes and, and young lawyers will, but it's how you deal with that that counts and taking on that feedback, the learning from it, the the, the growth mindset, I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto that. But so turning that resilience into something that, that can be beneficial from your mistakes. Yeah, absolutely critical. And, and, that, and you're absolutely right. I think between... Um, the kind of work I do with with clients as well, firms are, are just generally taking a much more holistic view now around yeah. what it means to um, you know work within a, a firm or or you know chambers etc. It's mm. really important to to understand their people a lot better and ensure that the whole experience of working at the firm is taken into account. So being much more supportive of mm. But, but it comes with an expectation, like you said, Nigel, around um, the individuals also having to take more responsibility and ownership for their own well-being and their own progression and having those open conversations. So, yeah, I think just being aware of the need to look after yourself, um, which is should be mutually beneficial, should be helpful to the firm and helpful to yourself and therefore um, uh, a good positive relationship going forward if, if, if you're looking after yourself. Yeah. And I'm just interested as well. The, the changing world of law generally, I mean, I think there's life in a law firm is is, is quite different now. And I, I know you've, through your many years of experience um, at BPP, but also actually, you know, within within practice itself. Um, do you think you could just give us a bit of an overview, maybe Charlotte, you, you could take this one um, on the key changes that are that are happening or have happened recently? 
effectively that are informing some of some of these needs in terms of looking at professional behaviors that we're seeing coming through and talk through yeah uh, i mean i would say very very broadly it's very clear that law firms certainly uh, i'd say it's the same for chambers barristers chambers are are a business and it's understanding that mindset another massive change we all know is artificial intelligence so that's changed the way people work but interestingly made it all the more important to come back to these key what we call professional behaviors um, and I want, uh, I would add at this point, we've seen an evolution. It used to be, and you need to picture the letters here, we would talk about the I-shaped lawyer back in the day. Um, in other words, lawyers with deep specialised knowledge, a big emphasis on the technical, if you like, and little, if any, knowledge or skills in other areas. And then we moved on to what we called the T-shaped lawyer, so vertical, the depth, and also horizontal, the T across the top. So a broader ability to apply knowledge across more disciplines and, and including beginning to include some skills. And I use the word skills as opposed to behaviors such as negotiation. Um, and now we talk about the O-shaped lawyer. So that speaks for itself, a much more rounded lawyer. Um, and this is a real focus on people coming back to those uh, I don't like the word soft skills, but the skills about people. Um, and in fact, BPP works with an organization called O-Shaped Lawyer, and we include all their thought process in the materials that we, we teach our students. We can come back to that. Uh, and at the heart of it is people. I mean, ultimately lawyers are trusted advisors and there's no getting away from it. It's about relationships. So that's at the heart of it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so when working with others, I mean, you're saying, you know, absolutely, it's, it's a people business, people by people, as we said in the, in the intro. Um, what key uh, mindsets and behaviours do you think um, centre around that relationship piece? Yeah, um, 100% it's about building relationships, building and developing relationships. Uh, so internally, of course, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't know who who the network is internally and also externally. So ultimately the clients and developing those, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, and it takes a, a lot of um, careful work to look after those relationships, like, like using the analogy of gardening. You know, you've got to keep on top of it. Uh, and at the heart, I suppose, of, of building relationships is emotional intelligence and that links back to the point we were saying about artificial intelligence with the enormous rise of artificial intelligence there's been a whole ironically needing to come back to basics and the the one thing that that robot isn't going to be able to do is is read each other each other's emotions and that is how we build relationships isn't it so that's absolutely key um and of course I would go even further. I would say cultural intelligence is another strand of emotional intelligence in a global world. And a lot of these lawyers are operating globally. We need we need to understand different cultures and that's an intelligence of its own. So I guess we can talk a little bit about uh, diversity, equality and inclusion that comes in there. It's all part of the same family of emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence, 
ultimately to build relationships, to ultimately be the trusted advisor uh, that the lawyer is. Uh, central as well is communication, of course, so much to say on communication. It's a two-way process. I often say to the students, it's not just because they often tell us, yes, I'm I'm a very good communicator, both written and oral. And I'm saying, yes, but communication is at the heart of it is about listening. And that's back to the emotional intelligence, isn't it? So um, listening is at the heart of it and picking up on cues and body language emotional intelligence again, I keep coming back to it. I'd say another absolutely core point on working with others and this, if you like, building relationships is being adaptable and flexible. So I need to know how to adapt with various clients or uh, various supervisors that I have, and I need to be able to flex as a lawyer. So adapting and flexing is absolutely key. Uh, I'd say working with others, of course, we're going to have project management in there as well. That's all our uh, all the things we've already talked about, communication. But some things there, know when to be a leader and know when to be a follower, when to follow the instructions and deliver. So there's a point there as well, I think. Yeah, okay. I can pick up on communication. I, I think that... Um, lawyers that different lawyers can have different strengths but if you're a poor communicator you're going to struggle in any field of law um and it's not just you know the the, the classic advocates in the courtroom uh, you've got to be able to communicate effectively with your clients and with others um uh, and that as i say yeah it really does go to effective communication does so much go back to understanding uh, what it's like to be uh, on the the other end of the conversation uh, mm -hmm. and i think to take a criminal um uh, example uh, a really good lawyer who's a good communicator should be able to flex as charlotte says to the extent that they can effectively address a high court judge in the morning in a serious case and also um uh, communicate effectively with i don't know a, a 10 year old uh, who's been arrested for a serious offence and who's in a prison cell, you know, police station cell or whatever in the afternoon. Um, and the best lawyers that I've ever worked with are those who have been able to communicate effectively with everybody. Yeah, that's just it's a real skill, isn't it? And I think when you, you talked about listening as well, I mean, what would the BPP um, do to support students to develop those kind of skills? Because they don't feel quite as tangible, do they? Um, how do, how do how do you as as a education provider support students coming through BPP to kind of skills? Yeah, I think it's um, it's it's important to realise that uh, our students on the whole are moving from that technical level to the practical level. So they have this level of technical knowledge, as we said earlier. They're, they've they've got their law degree, for example, um, and they are then doing their solicitor's qualifying exam or the barrister's training course whatever it might be um good example the course that i teach most on the barrister training course advocacy is a big part of that and in mm -hmm. teaching advocacy um really work on effective communication and we teach advocacy in groups of just four or five students at a time and they're in that fairly small group throughout the whole term for example and they get a lot of practice in performing. It might be practicing a cross-examination of a witness, or it might, perhaps more significantly for this for these purposes, involve what we call conferencing skills, which is sitting down with your client and questioning your client to get the right information from them that shows an understanding of the case, but then also advising your client 
in what might be a difficult situation, it's often a, a criminal case. So advising the clients of what their plea should be, what's likely to happen, what their options are. And that's developing that practical skill of explaining often legal concepts, but in a way that is understandable to a lay person. And students often struggle with that to start with, because as undergrads, they've been practicing trying to be um, what they think is impressive lawyers by referring to as many legal concepts as possible uh, and referring to authorities and statutes and the like. Whereas in the real world, of course, your client doesn't want to know if it's Section 1 of the Theft Act 1968, they want to know, yeah, what is it that I'm supposed to have done? What can I do? What are my options? Um, and almost just transferring it from the legal to the um, accessible, I suppose, is a skill that they practice. And all our students practice or they experience in those workshops, not just being the lawyer, but being the client as well for their colleague student mm. or being the witness who's being examined or cross-examined. And then as we move towards the, the assessments for um, those advocacy skills, we bring in professional actors, in fact, to play the role of the client or the witness. So, um, uh, and they're given certain role play instructions as well. So they really do um, massively improve over the course of a term in terms of just how they effectively communicate because they they get to really see what it's like. There's just plenty and plenty of practice, isn't it? And I think your point around making sure that um, they translate the technical into the, the very straightforward language so that and I think that's the case as well within a within a, a law firm within private practice isn't it Charlotte you know yeah exactly it's the application isn't it mm -hmm. bring it to to life so all of our teaching method is as if they were either working for a barrister's chambers on the bar course or as if they are working within a law firm for the solicitor's course so it's it's yeah. um, simulation. Yeah. 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 So they'll get their instructions from uh, the law firm that we've made up or from the barristers chambers that we've made up uh, so that it's as real life as possible. Yeah. And our listeners, you know, some some of our listeners, I'm sure, will be trying to work out right now what kind of environment they think they're going to um, suit best, you know, thrive, thrive within. Um, and at We Imagine Law, we talk a lot about that, you know, really understanding yourself well enough to understand then uh, what questions to ask of mm. potential employers so that you can understand the environment and, and really work out whether or not you think you might fit there and, and that might suit you best. Um, and there's a lot of kind of groundwork that you have to go through to, in order to, to work that through and, and it's, you know, speak to a number of organisations and other people if you've got the networks to uh, you try to see the differences between firms because they all seem to say very similar things. Um, so Nigel, maybe you could share your insights in relation to this. Um, what do you think are the most important things our listeners should be considering when they're thinking about organizational belonging and, and how to how to really you know, generate that clarity of thought, I guess, as to yeah. where they think best um, fit? I think the most important thing to start with is simply being aware of it because so many um, students, lawyers go through sometimes their whole career without really thinking about it. And then they're, they're not quite sure why they're not really having a as satisfying a life as they could. Um, so it really is worth taking a step back and just being aware of that, that concept really of organizational belonging. Because if you get it right, then 
your life is enhanced. It, it just is. It, it runs more smoothly. If you're a good fit for an organization and the organization's a good fit for you, um, then it's likely to be a productive, enjoyable uh, relationship. But if you're not the right fit for an organization, then you might just find that everything is harder work and you're sort of pushing against the machine um, all the time. And it's that can that can take its toll. Um, yeah, so as I say, many people just don't think about it um, at, at that level. They just find their working life difficult. They might think it's because of them or because of other things in their life. But take a step back, have a look. You know, is the organization the right fit for me? Um, what makes it the right fit? Well, everybody is different. Every organization is different. So it, it's, it's hard to be prescriptive, but it, it might be an organization that has the same sort of professional and ethical values that, that you do. Um, it might be an organization that has the same attitude to sort of work-life balance. I mean, you don't want to go into an interview saying, I don't want to work very hard. You know, is that okay? But different firms have different um, priorities, I, I think, in terms of a work-life balance. And you can get a feel for whether it's a kind of firm that is going to you know, expect you to be in at six in the morning and there till nine at night, albeit you might be paid well for it. Uh, but is that yeah, the sort of life you want or are you um, wanting something a little bit different? Um, uh, so think about that sort of thing. Think about whether it's the right field of law as well, because people you know, overlook that. You're not, if you're hell-bent on being a criminal lawyer and that's where your passion lies, then a conveyancing practice is not going to be the right fit for you um, and you're not going to be the right person uh, for them either you know however well aligned you might be um, in, in other ways with, with the people within the organization so and, and a firm's attitude towards other things neurodiversity and the like might be particularly significant to to to, to some applicants so research um, a lot, speak to people who work within that organization if you can, um, have a look at their websites. Sometimes websites are a bit superficial because firms, like any business, they, they often brand themselves as the best at everything. Um, but you, know, you can get perhaps a bit more insight by speaking to other people in the profession if you can. Um, the reality though, of course, let's not ignore this, you probably won't have the pick of 10 firms or chambers on day one um, that you can choose from. And that's that's the reality. So what I would say is qualified. If you can afford to be choosy, and I know other people, are, some people have you know, different um, situations and some people just need to get a job for, for other reasons as soon as possible. Um, and it might be that you know, some people need to do that and then think about moving sideways if it doesn't work out. But if you can afford to be choosy and spend a bit of time um, rather than rushing into the first uh, offer you get, then do so. If you're applying for pupillage to chambers, um, I would always say don't apply to every single chambers that you come across. Um, be a bit more choosy. Be a bit more selective. Target those that you think are the right fit for you, you know, the right specialist area of law, perhaps, or just the right, um, uh, the right team that you think you can work with. And similar with, with solicitors firms, you know, target those that you think you could um, be, be happy about, think about it, so that when you are interviewed and they say to you, you know, why us? Why do you want to come and work with us? You can properly answer that, you know, genuinely, um, which is um, 
an important thing for the for the employer as well they want to know that you're going to be the right fit so do think about it um a lot of students they apply to as many places as possible and then think about trying to yeah if they get an interview persuading that firm that yes it really is the right fit when it might not be so there can be some delay involved in being choosy the more selective you are the longer it's going to take of course um, and I suppose that's where your other qualities come in, such as resilience, because you can, um, it can be quite painful trying to find the right place. And of course, resilience is needed when you're rejected, because if you're more choosy, I suppose, and you're more determined to get the right organisation for you, you may well suffer some painful rejections along the way. And that is something which, um, you know, prospective lawyers students have to learn to deal with uh, as well and this again to, to charlotte's point earlier even if you know rejection is part of life you know you're not going to be successful at, at everything however there's always an opportunity to learn from it isn't there and get feedback and take that to the next step etc yeah. yeah. yes yeah, so I, I just wanted to come in on the um points that Nigel raised on diversity, equality and inclusion. And coming back actually to one of your first questions, Kerry, you were saying, how has the nature of uh, the law firm changed? Well, a massive change is that DE&I point. Mm -hmm. And that's what law firms are really waking up to see. So just flipping it on its head, what uh, Nigel was talking from the perspective of the student, but if we look at the organization from the organization's perspective, they have to be really aware of uh, DEI um, issues and um, and that language, if you like, um, and ensure that their teams are diverse. We know all data shows that diverse teams lead to much better decisions, higher revenue, more profitability, et cetera. So it's not just the right thing to do, it's it's the smart thing to do as well. And that ultimately is how the firms or the chambers are going to retain the talent. And they, they're really waking up to that. So I'm just talking about it from the other point of view as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that kind of diversity of thought and then that, that make up teams within law firms or chambers um is exactly what they're, they're looking for isn't it um and exactly what their clients are looking for quite yes well. representative of the clients exactly yeah that's it um and i mean linked to the link to the points around inclusion and diversity um when we um spoke previously charlotte you um raised a really great point around you know the, the world is constantly evolving um and we really need to do our own individual bit to keep up with that to keep continually learning um, so that we remain in touch with with the realities of the world and the context in which we're working as well um, can you just give us a little bit more um, of a flavor of, of, of what where you see um, the kind of behavioral skills that are required in relation to that then around that kind of you know, that, that mindset that growth mindset that you mentioned earlier on Exactly that. Yeah. So for me, this is the absolute key to to it all. And it's lifelong learning. So 
we could say this is the wraparound, the the professional behaviour that wraps around all of the others that Nigel and I have been discussing with you here today. Uh, and the wraparound one is indeed lifelong learning. It's pervasive, isn't it? Mm -hmm. it it's taking responsibility for your own personal development. And much more than that, it is that point you, you've just raised, Carrie, about keeping yourself informed as the world changes so that you can, it's packed to adapt and flex, you can adapt and flex to that. The world doesn't stand still, it's always changing and we need to keep making sure we're abreast of that. It, it's back to that D, E and I point that we need to be conversant with that language um, and keep, um, keep building on that. So yes, lifelong learning within that for me, uh, or, or, or what that's all about is reflection. I need to be a reflective learner. Um, so any task that I'm doing, and again, this comes back to the resilience. Yes, I might make a mistake. I need to then proactively seek out the feedback. So key thing here, feedback, in order that I can reflect. Um, it's a cliche, but feedback is a gift. It's only by receiving that feedback with the right attitude that I can then take that forward. So if you like feed forward, we do a lot of that with our students as well. So they're very used to it. They just need to carry it on when they get into the real world as it were um, and, and continue with those skills. You, you hit the nail on the head. It's about growth mindset, which we hear so much about. Um, there will be imposter syndrome. I think this comes in on this yeah. point as well. We all have it, um, interestingly. Uh, apparently data says that women have it far more than men. Can't imagine what that's all about, but yes, a whole other conversation for another time. Um, <laughs> imposter syndrome. So here we can turn that on its head, can't we? If I said to you, I've got an opportunity for you to really learn and grow rather than yikes, I feel like a fish out of water here, I'm scared. You would be jumping at it to have that growth opportunity moment. So that's the kind of mindset uh, our people going into the law should should be equipped with or should want to go in with mm. and it feeds directly as well doesn't it into um what we call um your personal brand i suppose you know yes. how do you perceive you um do you want people to perceive you as being someone that is open-minded you know that's ready to learn that wants to con you know, constantly um stretch themselves and 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 evolve or do you want to be seen as someone that you know actually wants to stay within their kind of comfort zone and and not it's not so much about taking risks but it's just taking those opportunities to do something different and to learn and grow and develop um and i think that that personal brand piece is also quite important to have hugely important yeah um again just just to give us a bit of a flavor from a BPP perspective, maybe Nigel, you could take this one around. The um, what what do you do as a, as an education provider to support your students to develop their personal brand to understand what that really means? Um, one thing, just just picking up from that, is it's moving on from the diversity sort of question as well, isn't it? I was just thinking, in fact, that it's massively important for the profession to be diverse because the profession has to really reflect the population um, lawyers might need to work with anyone and everyone in society society is diverse so the more diverse the profession is the better they can work with all their potential um, 
clients so massively important that um, I, I think students don't try to be something that they are not. And one message that I often need to reinforce, um, particularly from an advocacy point of view, because advocacy is one of the things that I teach a lot of, uh, most on the, the barrister training course. And I have, I mean, we have students from different backgrounds. Um, there's perhaps a whole other podcast about um, accessibility to the profession, but um, there are um, you know, scholarships which uh, enable hopefully increasing access to our courses and thereby to the profession in due course. But um, a question I'm often asked by students is, should I take elocution lessons um, or should I have a voice coach or an accent coach uh, in order to succeed uh, at the bar, for example? And I can sort of see where they're coming from in terms of this image that the profession has, um, that there's a certain sort of person who talks in a certain sort of way, particularly in the courtroom. But I'd like to think that that has changed a lot over the last 20, 30 years, certainly the last 10 years. Um, regional accents um, are, are what trouble some students. They think, oh, I've got a very strong regional accent, um, whether it's an international accent or regional um, more locally. Um, and my message is always absolutely not, 100% not. Um, don't even think about it. It's hard enough doing the job without trying to be somebody else at the same time. Um, be yeah. yourself. You are mo much more able to be an effective communicator if you are doing it, you know, as yourself rather than playing the role of somebody else and then trying to communicate. So, and, you know, if you go before um, I don't know, I, I go back to a criminal example often, but you know, if you're going through it before a jury and delivering a closing speech to a jury, you know, the fact that you've got a regional accent is not going to be a problem at all. Um, it's not going to be a problem for clients. So I think it's important to be as individual as possible. Be yourself at the bar. The last thing we want in the profession generally is it to become anonymous so that everybody, I mean, in the sense that everybody's the same. Um, so I think that is probably well, certainly one of the most important things uh, to bear in mind. Right, and uh, our very, very first podcast for Reimagine Law was all about that. So we, we, we focus very much on, you know, the, the key is to, to be, know yourself and be yourself, be, be authentic. Um, and going back to that organisational belonging point, you know, unless you're, if you're pretending to be something you're not, then you, they won't be that good fit with the, with the organisation that you end up with either. Um, so you need, you need to have that. And, and it links again, I think, with our, you know, the point around personal brand, you know, knowing yourself, being yourself and how you want to be perceived and, and putting, putting yourself in other people's shoes, sort of looking back at you, as it were, yeah. to, to, to work out how you want to be, um, uh, yeah, received by others, I suppose, but of yourself. Which is why it's beneficial in the sort of advocacy workshops we do to, for the students to play the part of the client or the witness as well, so that they can appreciate what it's like to be on the other end. And of course, we video record every um, student's performance within a workshop, uh, as well as the feedback they get. And each student gets a link to their own performance afterwards that they can watch back. So they do get the benefit of being able to um, watch and listen back to everything that they do. Because quite often, I mean, that's a very useful tool, in fact, because often a student will think, 
Oh, I, I, I was going at a particular pace and then they listen to it back and go, oh, I was going really fast, wasn't I, for example? Um, or they might think they've explained something really clearly and then they listen back and go, oh, no, I could change that. So having that sort of extra level of um, analysis or insight, I suppose, into, into how they're communicating is really useful. Yeah, very powerful, very powerful. Um, Charlotte, did you have anything else to, to add on that last piece? Because I'm going to come to ask you uh, for your top tips in a minute or two, but just to round off the um, the piece around you know the personal brand that we were talking about there. Is, is there anything else that you wanted to? Yeah, just something very simple. Personal brand, it makes it sound something complicated or something you've got to work out. It isn't. What personal brand means is simply, quite simply, how you come across how what perception you're creating in other words it's your advert to your law firm or your chambers so think about your your attitude and how you're coming across ultimately try and be nice yeah <laughs> yeah and be yourself like you say yeah be yourself but remember to adapt and flex depending on who you're you're talking to Fantastic. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you both today. Um, we like to leave our listeners with a, a couple of top tips um, for them just to mull over at the end of each podcast. Um, and obviously we'll have those as part of the resources um, that go alongside when it goes live. Um, Nigel, what would what would be your sort of one thing that you would you would put out there as a top tip on the on the back of thinking about you know those professional behaviors? I just really focus on communication, you know, the because a good at the heart of every good lawyer is a good communicator and you need to be a good communicator right from day one at your job interview don't you um and then onwards to be effective and what i often say to students is listen to other people's conversations it might be other people's well specifically go to court for example um listen to how other lawyers talk um to each other in the courtroom how they address the judge um, even if you don't really know what the case is about, um, you do absorb uh, just how they explain things, how succinctly someone might explain things. But listen to how other people do it in all sorts of walks of life. I don't know, you might have an appointment with uh, another professional and you might think you, know, you might go to your doctor, for example, and afterwards think, oh, they didn't explain that very well. How might I have done that? You know, you're always we're always hearing people talking to each other. Um, think to yourself, was that very succinctly and concisely and clearly explained, or could I have explained that better? And I think the more you think about that and zone in on, on how people are communicating and explaining things, um, the better. Good point. So it's, it's just being more conscious of, of conversations and, um, and yeah, having it out in the front of your mind. Charlotte, what would be your top tip? Mine is definitely reflection. So feedback, reflection, um, lifelong learning. And the so keep a work journal, reflect on work you've done, reflection, reflection, reflection to take you forwards. Uh, and the other one I've got to say is networking. You, you mm -hmm. can't progress without, you need... To, to know inside the organization who you need for this bit, that bit. And you that's that's the only way you can function within an organization and obviously externally as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Lots and lots of things for people to uh, chew over. Um, and um, thank, thanks again for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Love working with you both. 
It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Gary.